happy decision making to everyone out there. Hey there, my name's Lily and you're listening to Mindful Admissions, a podcast by Strive to Learn. This episode of Mindful Admissions is a recording of a live interview I did with Josephine in April of this year, where we talked about how students can decide what college they actually want to go to after receiving responses from all of their colleges. There's a lot of knowledge out there, including, you know, this podcast, our blog, etc., etc. Everybody's got a blog. Um, Every college counselor and their mother has a blog about this. But college counseling is so over-resourced now on the internet. There's so many places for high school students to figure out how to craft their applications, how to write essays, do interviews, tour schools, but there are shockingly few guiding voices that can help students to make that final crucial decision about where to actually go. So much time and energy goes into creating your applications that you might forget that at the end of it, you've got to choose only one. Of course, you can transfer or change majors or make any number of life changes after accepting a college's offer, but that initial acceptance is, for many people, your first real decision as an adult. So it's important to choose carefully and decide to go somewhere that you feel will keep you happy, engaged, fulfilled, and all kinds of other adjectives that Josephine will explore in a minute. That's just my two cents, and I think that about covers it, so let's go to Josephine. Hello, uh, welcome Josephine. Thank you so much for uh, coming to talk with me today about college acceptance letters. So uh, if you would go ahead and introduce yourself and maybe give us a little peek into what we're gonna be talking about today. Yeah, absolutely, Lily. Um, I'm Josephine, I'm the founder of strive to learn and I'm a college counselor and educational consultant, which means that I work with high school students. Um, some of you may have had um, you know, really tough rejection phase and have gotten waitlisted at a lot of places, especially this year with COVID. Um, the waitlists are, you know, heavily in use for enrollment management. Um, others may have gotten in to all of your colleges and now you are overwhelmed and trying to figure out which one you actually want to go to. And there are a lot of scenarios in between. So today we're here to talk about how you can use the month of April to really figure out which of your acceptances do you actually want to commit to? Uh, how do you, you know, select your college now that you have actually been admitted to some of them? And how can you best use this month of April since you do have 30 days ahead of you before you need to make your final decision. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, everyone's college pathway is going to be different because of who they are, how they applied, where they want to go. But there are some questions that I feel apply to pretty much everyone. So my first question would to you would be, what's the first thing someone should do after getting accepted to a college? Um, I think that it's important Two, <laughs> there are a couple of things. So it's important to keep all your information straight. So I would highly recommend, um, you know, making a Google Doc or something like that, where you keep all of your information for each college. So once you get accepted, um, you are probably going to get that either in the mail or in an email, and it's also going to be in your um, applicant portal. So you want to make sure you have all of your portals, um, you know, written down somewhere, how to log into them, what the link is, what your username is, and um, make sure you either remember your passwords or <laughs> have them written down in a safe place. Um, 
Um, it can be very obnoxious, you know, to have to reset it every time trying to get in. I think that's very important. I would also keep all of your information separate. So if you get an acceptance letter as a PDF and a financial aid award letter as a PDF, don't just let them sit in your portal, download them, organize them on your computer, maybe print them and have a separate file for each college. I think that's really, really important. Um, of the colleges that you're excited to um, have gotten in, so the colleges where you really are thinking about attending, I think one of the first things to do is really keep an eye out for their emails, keep an eye on any of their admitted student events, um, reach out to the admissions officer assigned to you, introduce yourself, ask for a personal meeting that can be on Zoom. Um, and really start that conversation so that you can use this time, this month that you have to get to know that college even better um, and to really start um, getting a sense if you can see yourself there. Also feeling out how helpful are they, right, from the start, um, because that may mirror what it will be like to go there. And another thing, once you do have all your acceptances together, see if you can somehow go visit your top three choices. I think that one's really important as well. Absolutely. Um, so there's, I mean, in the college applications process, there are a, a few different ways of kind of categorizing the type of schools that students are looking at. There's like reach schools, target schools, safety schools. Um, and so I'm curious to know what, uh, someone would do if they got into, for instance, uh, all of their target schools and one of their reach schools. Okay. Um, so I think the most important part is to not focus on where they target or where they reach. It's really to take a look at, you know, what do I like about these colleges? Why did they end up on my list in the first place? What make those colleges a good fit for me? And, and reestablishing what is your good fit criteria? That's a really good idea. So maybe going back and using a tool like Coursava, um, which is really cool online tool. Um, you can just Google Coursava, C-O-R-S-A-V-A. And any student can use that tool for free. And you can basically go through these card decks and shuffle and sort um, what is important to you in a college. Um, I, like, I like that tool because it might make you think of things that you wouldn't have thought of if you're just staring at an empty piece of paper. Um, and the cri criteria that you wrote, hopefully wrote down at some point before you applied, um, those might have changed. I mean, you know, you're probably you probably started thinking about all of this about a year ago um, and you applied, you know, eight months ago. So um, I think it's really important to check in with yourself and think about what do I want? You know, what do I want next year and what do I want for the next four years? Um, you know, are you looking at a specific major? Take a look at every single one of your colleges and what they offer within that major. Get in touch with that department and tell them, hey, I got in and I'm trying to decide what college to go to because I have some great options and I'm really intrigued by yours. Can I meet with someone on Zoom to find out more about the major? Can I maybe talk to some current students and see what their experience has been? Because you want to go beyond just their website. You want to learn all about these unique experiences that are going to be a big part of your life in the next four years. 
Another big thing is, you know, where do you want to live? I mean, it's not just the university you'll be attending. Um, it's also a place you'll be living. Um, you know, do you want to be in Chicago or do you want to be in Miami? If you're deciding between those two, the climate is very different. The cities are very different. Hopefully you can afford to go visit them. Um, and if not, really, again, try to get somehow together with other current students on Zoom, try to get a sense for the place, get a sense for the campus culture as well. Um, take out the selectivity aspect of your universities. Really think about the experience that you want to have in your next four years and where you want your experiences to take you. Think about what are those goals and then see which school best unites with those. Sometimes it's hard to figure that out. I mean, I recommend making giant spreadsheets because I'm, I'm a list person. I love them. <laughs> Does that always answer, you know, all your questions? No. Um, but it is a great visual way to lay it out. Um, and so that's, that's one of the things that I would do. But again, once you have your criteria um, kind of sorted out and you know, hey, these 10 things are something I would really like in a college. Um, then when you are going to your admitted student events and when you have all of these, um, you know, wonderful opportunities to talk to um, people there, like the admissions person themselves as well as other students start looking through your list and start feeling out hmm, does it sound like I would be getting all of these criteria or was I just thinking that um so so exploring that and checking in with yourself and reflecting I think is really important um I do have one more thing to say about all this I think it's very easy when you get into all safeties or all targets and only one reach to say I've got to go to my reach now you know um I have to, because I got in, but just know that you don't have to, you should go to the university that is the best fit for you. And the university that will allow you to build the resume that will allow you to be successful in your future, a brand name university might be able to give you, um, you know, might be able to get you a foot in the door, might be able to get you an interview, but does it help you seal the deal and get the job? No, that's what's actually on your resume. That's the practical experiences you have gained. Um, that's the research you've conducted. That's the works you have published. So go to the university that where really gives you access to the opportunities that you need access to. Great. So uh, I have a quick follow-up question. Um, I'm interested in hearing kind of the pros and cons of going to a university where you might be in the relative bottom quarter of the student body. If you go to your reach school, you could be in a lower academic uh, tier. Whereas if you go to, for instance, a community college or somewhere else that is one of your um, safety schools, you might be in the higher academic kind of performance group of that school. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I've had students... Um, I mean, we're, we're locally located, we're in California and historically we've had, you know, more students from California. Um, so one of the examples was, um, I had a student a few years ago who got into UC Berkeley as well as UC Santa Barbara. Um, that was at a time where Berkeley was as selective as it is currently and UC Santa Barbara was less selective than it is currently. Um, and so she really loved Santa Barbara and thought it was a good fit for her, um, both from the major as well as the campus culture, the sense of balance, the location, everything. 
But then she got into Berkeley. So she's like, I got to go to Berkeley. Like, how do I say no to Berkeley? Right. Yeah. Do I want to say no to that? Or do I just, you know, um, go and not have a life for the next four years? Because I don't think I'll have the balance I want because I'll have to really throw myself into my studies. So she was really struggling with that decision because she felt like she was throwing an opportunity out the window to take an opportunity that is less prestigious. Um, In the end, after a lot of you know, going back and forth and a lot of conversations, she did decide to go to UC Santa Barbara, which I really think was a great choice for her. Um, So one of the things I love doing with my students is I love introducing them to the idea of, um, of course, I'm blanking right now. (laughs) Malcolm Gladwell wrote a wonderful book called David and Goliath. um, And he talked about the idea of um, relative deprivation theory as it applies to going to university um, and how successful versus how happy will you be at a university during your four years um, based on how do you compare um, to the rest of the students academically, right? Um, When you applied, were you in the lower 25%, the mid 50% or in the top 25% of the student academic profile? And it's really quite interesting. So I really recommend that you um, Google uh, Malcolm Gladwell relative deprivation theory, uh, Google talk. It's just a 15 minute view. It's really funny. So even if you get nothing else out of it, he's, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, But it really talks about um, the fact that when you are surrounded by people who are just as smart as you, maybe a little smarter, maybe they just work a little harder, whatever it might be. Maybe they have a different sense for what balance needs needs to them, right? Um, Or for what values are important in their daily lives. But when you are constantly around um, people who are outperforming you, whether that's going to happen or not, right? But if you do find yourself in that situation, you tend to lose a lot of confidence. And that makes you go way less towards those opportunities that you might've had, or that maybe you should have gone for, right? There's also a lot more competition for those opportunities. And so what can happen is that a wonderful, intelligent, hardworking student can end up dropping out of college because they went to a university where they constantly feel like they're running to catch up instead of going to a university where they feel like, wow, you know, I am doing really well. I'm actually going to take a a heavier course load because I want to challenge myself. And they're choosing that challenge, um, maybe by increasing their course load, maybe by doing an internship, maybe by joining the honors college, right? There are always ways to up your load once you are at a university. But it's really hard to decrease your load if you're at a university that is very go, go, go um, and doesn't have quite the balance that you might be looking for. And it can have really negative effects um, on how you view yourself and on how you continue to progress and grow. Um, So oftentimes it leads to a little more fixed mindset than growth mindset when you find yourself in a situation like that. Um, So I think it's just really important to just really think about you know, what is the culture like there? So I love asking current students, um, 
I, I don't like asking them, so how hard is it? <laughs> because it's very <laughs> subjective, right? Really but, subjective. But I love asking, okay, so like how many hours a week do you spend in class? Um, and that's usually going to be, you know, around yeah. 15 plus minus a few. And, and then I love asking them, so, you know, if you have about 15 hours of class a week, so how many hours outside of class do you usually spend studying, doing homework, preparing for tests? And some schools, you, you might hear students say, 15, 20 at others, they might say 30 or 40. And so think about that. If you're okay with that, and if that sounds reasonable, like what you were expecting, that's great. You know, go for your reach, totally fine. But just be really cognizant of what kind of academic environment you're going to be immersing yourself in. Just because you think that it's a higher, quote unquote, higher level, um, or there are more, again, in quotation marks, connections, that doesn't mean that that's the school where you are going to rise to a higher academic level or where you are going to make those connections. So really think about where can you stand out? It's oftentimes better to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond, gain more of those opportunities, gain more of those experiences, gain more of that um, confidence in your, in your own academic prowess, um, and then rising up to those levels. So um, Malcolm Gladwell did a lot of research on this idea of relative um, deprivation theory, like I said. And what he found was that students who um, attended universities where they had scored in the lower 25% academically, and they went to these really, you know, selective universities where they themselves were in the lower 25%, they ended up dropping out or publishing um, very little once they had graduated, that's how he was measuring success, um, versus the students who had been in the top 25% of the applicant pool and had gone to those universities. So more of the target universities or likely universities. Um, those students actually um, tended to finish college um, more frequently. Um, so lower dropout rates, and they tended to have a higher rate of publications post-college. So that was really interesting because you might think, oh, but if I go to Berkeley, I'm going to, you know, be around all this research and I'm going to be publishing and I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to do all these things. Um, versus if I go to Santa Barbara, I can do the same stuff, but I won't have the name Berkeley on it. Right. Um, this might be what's floating around in your head in the beginning. Um, but then think about like where, where are you going to be able to take the opportunities in the way that you're seeking them? So I'm not saying never go to your reach school. I'm just saying, be really, really cognizant of what you're getting yourself into. And then, you know, decide to do it and embrace it. That's great. But really ask yourself on a daily basis, how much time and balance do you want? How much free time do you want? Do you want to be studying every day till midnight for the next four years? Or do you want to have time outside of your studies to pursue an internship, to do your own research, um, to work, to pursue something for fun, have a social life, right? I mean, there are a lot of different things that can lead to success. And I think balance is really important for mental health and having more um, consistent mental health can lead to a lot of success in your career and your academics as well. Um, so yeah, I'll also provide a little anecdote about myself. I know I've been talking for a long time, but I ended up going to Chapman University and it would, it was definitely 
more of a target or likely school for me when I applied. I chose it simply because I got almost a full ride. And for me, the finances were really the most driving factor in being able to finish my four-year degree. I simply couldn't have finished it if I hadn't gotten so much money. So that was amazing for me. Um, And I got so many opportunities at Chapman. And I think it's because I got an incredible confidence boost. really being able to take advantage of these professor mentorships, seeing, wow, I could do my own research if I just fill out this form and just kind of going ahead and doing it and not feeling intimidated um, about even trying to do that. So I think um, for me personally, again, this does not apply to everyone, but for me personally, it was such a great choice um, because I was able to experiment without having this pressure or this intimidation of looking around me and seeing other people, um, you know, doing all these things that maybe I couldn't even imagine being able to do. Right. Um, and so I think I grew much more into my academic prowess and into my own confidence, which really led me um, to then, you know, conduct original research, get published in undergraduate as an, with, as an undergraduate, um, do an internship at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in the psychiatric um, uh, facility and do all these things and create my own documentary films and go traveling, <laughs> get credits for it, right? Sure. Um, and, and I was only there for two years. I transferred in and I had so many opportunities. Um, and I don't think it would have been quite the same. And especially I don't think I would have had the same comfort level of pursuing these opportunities if I had been at a university like MIT where I'm looking around me thinking, oh my God, (laughs) or if I'm buried in work and can't even imagine taking on more outside of it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. I appreciate, you know, I mean, there's a reason why our podcast is mindful admissions. I've spoken to a fair few educational professionals who would say pretty much the opposite of what you you've said to this by saying you know you got into Berkeley <laughs> you should go to Berkeley leap on that acceptance so I, I really I really do appreciate that um that angle uh, although you did you brought up something that I feel is equally important um which is financial aid for students so how for mo- for many students um a financial aid offer comes within a couple of weeks of exceed, uh, receiving a, an acceptance so how should someone compare financial aid packages from different schools? That's a great um, question. We actually just had a few um, blog posts going out about that. So head over to strive to learn.com, click on our blog and then on college admissions, and you'll find some good stuff on there written by our counselor, Amanda and William. Um, but what I can say in general is gather all your financial aid offers, put them side by side and really take a look at those letters and make sure you understand what they are telling you. So one of the things is figure out which part of that is free money, as in what you not need to pay back. So anything that has the word scholarship or grant is free money. But as soon as the word loan turns up, that is not free money. You are going to have to pay that back. Um, So just keep that in mind. I also recommend you make a spreadsheet where you do a column per university against the spreadsheet. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> no, I love the spreadsheet. <laughs> okay. So for your wonderful next spreadsheet, <laughs> um, I recommend doing a column for each university. And then um, over on the left, um, 
you know, putting the total cost of attendance for that university um, in each in the in the top row. Total cost of attention. <laughs> total cost of attendance means tuition and room and board. Um, so the full price that you're paying per year to go there and to live there and to eat there um, and to have books. <laughs> um, then underneath that, I would put in any, any scholarships or grants and make sure it subtracts from that top row so that on the row below that, you have the total of what do you actually need to pay per year for that college. Underneath that, I would add another row and multiply that by four because that way you will then have um, the total cost of attendance for your entire degree um, with and oftentimes that helps you realize, wow, over here, I'd be spending 200,000 total, but on this one, I'd be spending 300,000 total. That is a difference of a hundred thousand um, dollars. That's a lot, right? And so seeing it over four years can be really helpful. What I also recommend you do is take a look at your EFC score again. This is something that you would have been emailed by the FAFSA when you first filled it out. It should be on your um, student aid report, your SAR. Um, so take a look at that number. It's usually a six-digit number. If you're lucky, it starts with a zero. Um, if you're unlucky, it starts with a number, which means that you can afford to pay in the six-digit range for your annual cost of attendance. So then you will not be able to qualify for need. But if it starts with a zero, um, take a look at what that number is. So let's say, for example, that number is 30,000. So it would be 030000. It doesn't have a dollar sign, so it's kind of hard to connect that, but just know that that would then be 30000 And let's say you got into a university that cost 70000 and they gave you a $10,000 scholarship, bringing it down to 60000 Now, you could mess not message, but you could reach out to this university and say, hey, thank you so much for letting me in. Thank you so much for the ten grand. I really appreciate it. This is amazing. Um, however, you know, my family has an EFC score of 30,000, which leaves a gap of another 30,000, right? Costs 60 now to attend. EFC score is 30. That gap, that would be your need, okay? Um, so really making that case to the university, and we do have a great blog post on how to appeal um, your financial aid award letter. And we do have another podcast episode on this as well. So keep, a, keep an eye out. Um, and really have that conversation and have that conversation more than once and really try to discuss with the university and tell them you, this is what I want to be for these reasons. Is there anything else we can do? Is there anything else I can, can apply for? Um, keep pushing, you know, talk to people. Um, if you have a different school that is similar in their selectivity or higher um, in their selectivity, so has a lower admissions uh, sorry, acceptance rate, then you may, and you got a award letter there, you may be able to use that to leverage a little bit and just say, you know, my parents are pushing me <laughs> towards this other university where I got, you know, 40,000 from you guys only gave me 10, but you guys are my first top choice. Is there anything mm -hmm. you can do so that when I have this conversation with my parents, you know, I can, I can really come towards them a little bit because it's just really difficult for my family to ignore that I got 30,000 more at this other university. So starting the conversation is really important. Um, 
And that's what I did at Chapman. I mean, I was awarded pretty much half of what I got in the end. And I went there and I said, I love this place, but I can't come if there isn't anything else. And they found me something else I was able to apply for. So, that, you know, they didn't just hand it over. I did have to fill out an application, write an essay, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but they did find another opportunity that they had kind of missed before that. I think I also just got really lucky. <laughs> um, I was also an extremely strong applicant at that point. Um, but, you know, it never hurts to ask. They're never going to take anything away that they already gave you. Um, so what do you have to lose, right? Go talk mm-hmm. to them. They're real people. These universities are staffed by real humans that understand you and your family and what you're going through, and they will try to make it happen. So, you know, really try to connect with the people at the university that you're hoping to attend. Sure. Absolutely. So after this consideration of what college is the best fit for you and what financial aid package makes it possible for you to go and how many options you can kind of exhaust, um, there, there comes a time when you have to commit to a school which for most students uh, involves declining offers from other schools, uh, other schools. So when should someone officially decline an offer of admission from a school? I would do it after you've committed to another school. Sure. Just to make sure that you have, (laughs) that you have your, your ducks in a row. Right. Um, I mean, if you are that serious about a university that you have committed to them, then you're done right? You can go and decline the other offers. Um, It's, you know, kind of a courtesy to go and decline the other offers because you're letting that university know that you're no longer interested, which allows them to already open up a spot off the list um, sooner than maybe. So you're helping another student out, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So do you have to decline? No. I mean, you can just never talk to them again. But if you want to be kind to the university, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to be kind to some unknown student out there who might be hanging in limbo land on the wait list, um, Mm -hmm. you know, go and tell the university what your plans are. Thank them for admitting you um, and tell them, you know, politely you're declining the offer and wish them all the best and then head on your way. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, that exhausts uh, my questions. Do you have any kind of final thoughts or advice for students right now who are trying to make their college decision? Yeah, I actually have, um, I have two more big thoughts. Um, in this time of COVID, the wait list is being utilized um, you know, as an enrollment management tool, which it always has been, but enrollment management has been much more difficult for universities this year, um, simply because it's, these times are a bit unpredictable, right? I mean, college admissions is not a science and these universities are trying to figure out how can they best get an incoming class that's the same size as the actual spots they have available, right? So the wait list is their leverage tool. Um, So if you're on the wait list, you probably won't know if you got off that wait list until after May 1st. Mm-hmm. So you should definitely do a lot of research into the colleges that did admit you, and you should choose one that you're actually excited about. Do not bank on the waitlist. Waitlists are completely unpredictable. Some years, zero students get taken off a waitlist. Other years, 300 students get taken off a waitlist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even if you look at last year's statistics from that university and the prior years, you'll see it varies widely. 
And why is that? It's because every year is different and the people coming off the waitlist are there to fill the unfilled spots that they still have open for freshman year. So if more students accept the offer of admission than the university thought would accept them, then there won't be any unfilled spots, right? Mm -hmm. But if way less students take that offer, then suddenly they have more unfilled spots and that's what they will utilize the waitlist for. So just know that you know, not getting off the wait list is in no way a reflection of you or your worth. It means that university really wanted you and they just had such, you know, an, an, such a great um, applicant pool of students who were awesome and you were one of them. And that's why you're there. But there's simply a limit to how many seats they can offer. So definitely try not to take it personally. It's really not about you. It's really about the seats that they have available that year and the enrollment management that they have to do on their end to create the freshman class. Um, And just know it's so unpredictable. So definitely, I I personally, I like to be positively surprised. So I like to think, you know what? I'm going to take a wait list as a no. And then if I get off of it, wow, that's a positive surprise. I can deal with it when that happens, right? Um, If that happens. So um, that's one thing um, that I would say. And another thing I would say um, is, let's say because some of the universities have been extremely selective, especially the larger public universities have gotten more selective this application phase um, than any prior year. Mm -hmm. If you did not get into any of the universities that you applied to, what are your options, right? That's another big question. So of course, one of the options is to go to community college. Um, It depends on what you want to do after community college. Community college is a wonderful option to have a second shot at your first choice. So for example, if you are a California student and you really want to go to UCLA and you didn't get into UCLA, which by the way, most people don't because they have an extremely <laughs> low acceptance rate um, and because they have so many applicants, right? I mean, the statistics are just crazy. The UC system, this application season had 250,000 applicants. That's a quarter of a million students to the UC system. Last year, it was 200,000. They increased by 50,000. Did the UC suddenly have 50,000 more seats in their freshman class? No, right? So this, of course, negatively uh, impacts their admission rate, um, which negatively impacts you because then you didn't get in somewhere where you feel like you would have gotten in three years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just hard for everyone involved, including the people making the decisions on whom to offer an acceptance to. Um, So let's say, back to the scenario, you really want to go to UCLA, but you didn't get in. If you know that's what you really want, and you've spent a lot of time thinking about it, but you've spent a lot of time exploring that option, you're 100% certain that's your end goal, then you should definitely take a look at what are the different California community colleges um, that speak to you. There are a lot of different ones, right? You don't have to go to the one right next door to your house. You can go to a different one. You can go explore. You can room with someone else who's going there and you can do one of the wonderful programs that they have, such as the TAG program. So there are So there are really, really wonderful opportunities at community college. Um, Now, another thing, if you know where you wanna go. So let's say you applied to all these universities in Boston and it was filled with universities like MIT, Boston College, lovely, lovely, very, very selective universities such as those. And you didn't get into any. Well, you know, Boston has 
so many universities, I think over 60 universities, just, just in the center part of Boston. Take a look at the ones that are a little less selective. Some of them may still have open applications. It's April 1st. You may think, oh my God, application season is open, is over. Not necessarily. So a lot of universities have rolling application deadlines, which means they actually accept students even until June, sometimes even July if they still have space. Um, other universities say they have their deadline and maybe their deadline was March 1st, March 15th. But after that, they'll consider um, applicants on a rolling basis. So there's, it never hurts to just reach out to a university, even if their application deadline has passed and ask them, hey, you know, I didn't know about you guys. Um, and now I'm really looking at my options and don't like any of them. Would it still be possible to apply mm -hmm. for fall? Just mm -hmm. go and ask. I've had so many students um, who, well, not so many, but I've had a significant number of students who either didn't apply to college when, you know, back in fall when everyone else was doing it, or I've had very few, but I think about two in the last five years who didn't get into the colleges that they really wanted to go to. And so in April, they were in tears and they were just like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't know what to do. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I want to go to the East coast and I want to go to a four year. What am I going to do? And so I just said, why don't you just apply to some colleges? And they were dumbfounded. They're like, wait, wait, I can still do that. And they did. And they ended up going to college that fall to a four-year in New York, in Boston, and were super happy with their choice mm -hmm. and got high scholarships. So, you know, it's never too late. Um, the door is not shut. You have a lot of options. And then, you know, your other option is take a gap year. Go learn something. Go travel. I know it's COVID, but it's still possible. I mean, it's not COVID 2020. It is COVID 2021. Things are more open. You could even stay local for a gap year and volunteer somewhere or do a, an internship somewhere. You know, really do something that'll allow you to grow, that'll allow you to find a passion um, and, and mature. And honestly, airing out your brain for a half yeah. year or a full year between high school and college can be so wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that I did myself. Um, I did an intern. I worked and then did an internship and traveled. Um, so I took a year off. And when I started college um, one year after I had graduated high school, I was so excited for my classes. My brain was just such a sponge. I was just so ready to learn something new. And if I had even tried to think of going to class right after I graduated. I mean, I was, that was just stressed me out because I was kind of saturated at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so I really loved, um, you know, going to Argentina, perfecting my Spanish, um, interning at a theater and just, um, really, you know, opening my love for theater arts, which was my major when I then subsequently entered college. Um, and, it just gave me such a wonderful experience. And I feel like my four-year experience at um, university, I just enjoyed it to the fullest because I had had some time to relax in between and to grow in, in an experiential way, um, in a way that really heightened my cultural sensitivity, in a way that allowed me to really figure out how do I want to live on my own in a new big city, yeah. right? Um, and so it's something that I, I also highly recommend. Um, so not getting into where you thought you wanted to go may not be the catastrophe that it sounds like. It may just be a blessing in disguise and give you all these new opportunities that will lead you to where you actually needed to be going. So 
Yeah. Awesome. On that lovely note, um, I want to remind everyone that a lot of the resources and information that we've shared today are available in our uh, on our website and in blog post form. And we're always here for you to contact and get in conversation with uh, about these topics. So thank you so much, Josephine, for your time. Uh, and I'll see you soon. All right. Thank you, Lily. A pleasure as always. <laughs> Happy decision making to everyone out there. Thanks for listening. As we continue to produce episodes of this podcast, you can follow along on our website, www.strivetolearn.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes, and don't forget to subscribe. As we're launching this podcast, we'd appreciate any support you can give, including likes, downloads, shares, and good reviews. Got something you want to learn about? Ask us questions in the comments, or DM us on Instagram at Strive to Learn Tutoring. Get the latest updates in the college admissions world, and be the first to receive exclusive offers when you subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, www.strivetolearn.com. Thanks for sticking around, and I'll see you next time.